everybody. Welcome to the Wasatch Report. This is episode 53. I am Suzanne Sherman. Jeff Johnson isn't here today, but fear not. Alan Mosley from It's Too Late. Best eight-night talk show in the world is joining us today. And he's already interrupting me, screwing up my show. Go ahead, Alan. Let's just I'll just turn it over to you. (laughs) I'm a poor substitute for the number one producer in the Wasatch Report, Jeff Johnson, but I'm gonna do my best. I'm I'm looking at the little thing here. It says we're live, it says you're in the show, and that is the extent of my information. Yep. Well, you were going to come on with me on Friday and then Jeff's audio went out. So he said, let's just do this right now. And here you are looking, looking fantastic. Really appreciate your coming in to uh, save the show. We're going to have some follow-up commentary from our previous episode uh, with Marcus Ruiz Evans from the Yes California, California secession movement. So we're going to continue with our conversation, some philosophical points that were made in the in the book about how conservatives have made America hostile to progressives and what can be done about it. And I got a little flack some of, from some of my conservative friends saying, is this the Bash Conservatives show? Fear not, I'm getting to the progressives today. But folks, another question was, are you talking about the politicians? Are you talking about the people, meaning us personally? Folks, here I like to talk about philosophical issues, ways of thinking. If you take it personally, I'm sorry, I don't know what to say, but I call out the inconsistencies and some of the ridiculous arguments as I see them. And I did make some on the conservative side last week because one of the questions I had asked was, what is the usefulness of describing conservatives as dirty rednecks? And we got on to that. And his justification was it was a marketing test. So anything else that I called him out was going to be, look, this is the kind of people that we're addressing in this book. So I really focused on some of the inconsistencies of conservative thinking. But today I want to point out some of the things that were in his book. And Alan, you're going to be able to roll with this no problem whatsoever. Also, we want to talk a little bit about two of our good friends, Mike Meharry and Amanda Bowers, both wrote an article for the 10th Amendment Center. We should just call this the 10th Amendment Center episode. And Mike Meharry's is uh, called The Thin Blue Line Between You and Your Guns. And uh, Amanda did a great job discussing a California Assembly bill uh, that is passed, and that's going into effect, which is going to kind of thwart the federalization of the militarization of police out in California. So we'll get to that. Before we get rolling, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Suzanne Sherman's The Wasatch Report radio show. Also, if you're into learning about preparedness, the Red Hot Chili Prepper podcast, C-H-I-L-L-Y Prepper, will be back very soon. The bees are coming. I've got a bunch of beehives, a friend of mine, Uh, Beyond the Bee, check out my friend April Swenson, and she has a business, and she's bringing some beehives here, about 16 of them. So we're going to document that and uh, have have a podcast on preparedness using uh, beekeeping. So I'm really looking forward to that. We will be also, like I said, addressing those other articles. You can also follow me also on uh, SuzanneCSherman.com for my published articles, blogs, uh, suggested reading list. You can support us there by buying some of the books from the Amazon affiliate links. Speaking of suggested reading, the Lost Frontier Handbook is available in the printed copy now, finally, and they are going out. They are being shipped out. So check out lostfrontierhandbook.com. Learn the ways of the pioneers. That is your ultimate guide to self-reliance. For those of you listening live, I appreciate the comments. They're rolling in. Let us know you're here. Love to hear from you. And also, if you are not listening live and you're hearing us from Anchor FM or any of their platforms, please give us a listen on Anchor. That is how we get monetized. YouTube ain't going to do it. Alan, tell us about your experiences with YouTube and monetization. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that whether it's YouTube, whether it's Facebook and Facebook being a particularly bad one or or Twitter or any of the other ones, what, what so often happens is, is that they, they, of course, they love money and they are more than happy to take your money to advertise your, your episodes, your posts, your announcements, whatever. But way more often than not, unless you've got a million dollars, that money you're spending on ads is just to go to make sure that your posts get in front of the followers you already have. A lot of people just simply don't understand that the way modern social media works and, and the, the way the algorithms are written is you may you may be following Suzanne Sherman's The Wasatch Report. But if you don't click those little buttons to see first, if you're not actually actively going to the page to see, oh, is there an update today? Is there an update this week? You may miss it completely by having the misunderstanding that if I'm following the page, the page will come to me. It actually it used to be that way. It's not that way anymore. 
And that's just one of the many ways that they have hurt content creators. Not And not just us, to be fair. Lots of people who have lots of different kinds of content. Um, the world is just not as palatable for independent media and content creators as it used to be. Whereas, of course, surprise, surprise, the CNNs, the NPRs, the Washington Post, the New York Times of the world, um, they don't seem to have that. So they actually have a way bigger marketing budget than us, and they don't have the problem with being shadow banned. Yeah, it's it's very frustrating at times, and sometimes you just kind of wonder, why do we do it? But my question to that is, how can we not, given the way things are going? So let me look at also um, something else I wanted to bring up. You had sent me some information about the Derek Chauvin juror. We were talking mm -hmm. about earlier about his possibility for success on on appeal because the jury pool was so tainted by all the coverage that this has been receiving. And we had talked about this before on the show. There was no way that he was going to have an unbiased jury. And the, one of the jurors subsequent to this was interviewed and said, we had no outside influence whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Nothing affected us. In fact, what he was really saying was watching this video day in and day out and seeing him have his neck and, and seeing Chauvin sit on George Floyd's neck for about nine minutes. That's what convinced us. We had to see this. We had to experience this every day when lo and behold, Alan, there's been a development. Well, and there's several different jurors that sort of have conflicting uh, tales on this. Of course, they're individual people. They can have different uh, matters of opinion. So you had one juror. And of course, we don't know the juror's exact identity. We just know juror number, whatever. Uh, but there was a juror who was a, uh, I think, a middle-aged white woman who had specifically said, well, I believe that Chauvin was guilty and I voted guilty because that's what I genuinely believe the verdict should be. But I will admit that I also believed that my life would be in danger if my identity were to be made public um, and this the city and the surrounding communities would be in danger if I did not reach that verdict. Now that's now you're the lawyer, so you know a little bit more than me. She made it clear that she genuinely believed that guilty was the right verdict, and she has all the reasons in the trial to support that verdict. But she also let loose her private fears on if that verdict did not come out that way, which I feel like is one of those things where you you've taint everything you said before, but has now been tainted, right, by what you said after, but. And then a second juror who was a, a young a younger black man had two of the first questions that the jurors were asked and and you you know about this when they're when you're selecting your jury pool two of the first questions that were asked were and and I can actually pull it up and, and get the exact uh, wording but but the questions basically pertain to have you have you any pre-existing bias that would make you not be an adequate juror for this case have you specifically attended or been involved with any protests or rallies in and around Minneapolis leading up to this event? And specifically, have you had any involvement with the Black Lives Matter movement or a defund the police, uh, any of those types of movements? Now, this juror, who just so happens to be a black man, said to both questions, no. Well, it turns out that's actually not true because this, and this isn't just conjecture, there's actually photographic evidence of this juror attending said rallies, one of the rallies being uh, one where George Floyd's brother was actually like the keynote speaker at, at the protest and pictures of him at the protest and handling and wearing Black Lives Matter attire. Now, again, that doesn't mean that he could not have looked at the evidence and reached that verdict. I, I've made it quite clear that's exactly the verdict I would have reached. We've all seen the video. Come on, let's get with it. But he was asked questions prior to his being selected in the jury pool. And he and and you can tell me more being the lawyer or not. Are you actually technically under oath when you're asking those questions or answering those questions? Yeah. And honestly, if I were defense counsel, I would want him off the panel immediately. But then, and you know, point, mm -hmm. though, I was Go just going to say, so, so I, I, I was under the understanding you are technically under oath when you're being asked questions about whether or not you can serve on jury. And he point blank lied on the first two questions that can't just be ignored. Right. Even though Chauvin is not a sympathetic character no. in our eyes, and I can speak for you on that one, but justice served, you know, justice denied is not justice served. And this is the problem because 
you know, Chauvin, like him or not, whatever you feel about it, he's entitled to an, a, a vigorous defense. You cannot have a vigorous defense if the jury pool and members of the jury pool are lying about it. What do you think are will consequences will be for this juror who was found to have lied? Well, that's the thing. You know, I there's there's all sorts of uh, internet lawyers out there who uh, I haven't quite followed up on all their bar exams, but they they all claim to be legal experts. And I've actually read a lot of people saying, well. You know, this this won't do any good for Chauvin because the verdict is the verdict, but this will actually be more consequences for the juror. And I've I've seen other people saying, well, the juror is not going to suffer any consequences, but but Chauvin may get off. So I, I don't. So that seems for me, the my 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 gut instinct was, is that the, the juror probably won't suffer any serious consequences. But that's why I, I raised the question of, well, wait a minute. I was always led to believe that if I get sworn in under oath and I'm in court at any at any stage of of the justice system, if I'm under oath in court and I'm staring at a judge, prosecution, you know, court officials, and I point blank lie to their faces and I'm and, and have caught with photographic evidence that I lied, I'm not looking too pretty right now, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and the point of the matter is, too, with regards to him not being truthful, if someone were to say, I have zero outside influence, I have no bias, I have no preconceived notion in this case, you're lying. Everybody has one. So how do you avoid being tried by a jury in a case like this when obviously everybody's going to be aware of it? No change of venue is going to help you. I, I don't know, maybe not kneel on someone's neck for nine minutes. That might be a good way to this happen. Well, I don't know. I mean, exactly right. So you can't, you can't, you people can't unknow things, right? Once you know it, you know it. You can't unknow it. So people can't simply erase all the breaking news coverage, the video being played on 24-7 on, on media. You can't unknow it once you've, not that that wouldn't, of course, have been part of the trial to begin with, but you can't unknow the, the, the news coverage and you can't unknow the civil unrest that's that's surrounding that. But then again, you know, with that said, just because jurors are found to be, I don't, I don't even like the word tainted, because as you'd point out, well, where are you going to find jurors who have never heard of this man and have never heard of this case, especially anywhere near Minneapolis, Minnesota at that. But with that said, it happened. We all saw it just because the jury is quote unquote tainted. That doesn't mean Derek Chauvin is not guilty. That just might mean we have to re relook at the trial. We It may have to be retried. We have to we there there might we might have to hit the reset button right someone has to call mulligan and have a redo but that doesn't mean not guilty that doesn't mean oh well therefore he walks on a technicality i i i don't want to mislead people into thinking that you know his innocence is based on whether or not a juror lied because that has nothing to do with whether or not the man commit the actions right absolutely so let's change gears a little bit and talk about this is the book that we discussed last week, how conservatives have made um, America hostile to progressivism and what they can do about it. Um, there was a lot of gaslighting in that book. And again, when I first asked Marcus about, you know, the term uh, the, the dirty rednecks denying that there's a certain disease going around that we're not going to mention, you know, that to me, I didn't feel was helpful they did have a lot of good points that we did cover extensively. Conservatives didn't like our analysis on that. It is what it is. You know, if you really want to bolster your own arguments, you need to challenge them. If you don't want to do that, turn off this stream right now and go put on Fox News. Uh, Laura Ingraham. Did you hear him call her that? I thought that was brilliant. Uh, and I did. I, I did. <laughs> By the way, Suzanne, how dare you? I did actually watch the episode the other day with you and Marcus. So I, I am an avid Wasatch Report viewer and I will I will not be slandered with this. You can just follow along business. But, but please continue. <laughs> continue. Well, for the record, I am actually it's too late's number one fan. Just so you know, I even have the badge top fan. Flex. <laughs> Flexing. <laughs> because Facebook's out of one side so. of our mouths, we're saying that Facebook is full of shit. And then in the other side of our mouth, but Facebook says, but, but Facebook, Facebook says, says I'm the so. top fan. Not oh, fake. God. One of the things I thought that was really funny, you know, the left loves to throw the R word around calling us all a bunch mm -hmm. of racists. So clearly the rest of America is a bunch of racists. They all hate Californians as well. And um, by the way, they also celebrate the fact that by 2040, 
California will no longer have a white minority. And I'm not, and they're not stating this factually. They're saying this in a celebratory manner, like less white people is, is cause for celebration. I mean, less people I don't like is cause for celebration for me, but you know, I'm not the one parading around social media making race the number one talking point of all of my arguments, right? Thank you. They also like to term, uh, throw around the term fascists. And I was, I was thinking about that because they were saying that they're calling the conservative fascists, but at the same mm -hmm. time saying conservatives hate and want less government, which is a proposition that's ridiculous. But how can somebody be a fascist and also want less government? One of the, one of the things that makes a conversation like, uh, like some of the points that Marcus was bringing up uh, difficult is you can't have this debate without setting the guidelines of what's left, what's right. Because I, because I personally know a lot of people that consider themselves to be the capital L left, who do not identify as Democrats or even necessarily as progressives. You can have Democrats, you can have social Democrats, you can have progressives, and you can have leftists or the left. And there's lots of people on the far left that love their guns and want to get away from party politics. And hey, I, I, I get that, uh, but. But that that goes both ways, though, right? So now I now I could sit here and say the modern conservative movement in America is an absolute freaking joke, and I feel totally justified in saying that. But you, but I'll be fair and say, but you know, there's a lot of people who are conservatives, but the Republican Party doesn't doesn't accurately represent their views. Now they may be idiots and be supporting Republicans in office, even though the, even though those same Republicans are not supporting them or reflecting sort of their two views. evils. But that being neither here nor there, I'm I'm willing to accept that there's different that left and progressive and Democrat can be different people. And let's let's be willing to accept that conservative or Christian conservative and big R Republican or little R Republican or or alt-right or whatever, those can be different people too. And there might be overlap, but they also can be totally mutually exclusive. So with that said, I feel like one of the biggest one of the biggest exceptions I took with a lot of what Marcus is saying is that in the same way that I would say to Marcus, look, I'll I'll meet you halfway and say that you are not Hillary Clinton. But I feel like you have to meet those. You have to meet MAGA and alt-right and conservatives and Christians and all the other. You have to meet them halfway and say that, well, a lot of your gripes are gripes towards the big R Republican Party. A lot of your complaints are about the GOP. Now, that's not to say a lot of those people don't support the GOP, like we just said, and that's a whole separate issue. But you know what? There's a lot of leftists who voted for Joe Biden because that was the lesser of two evils in their mind. So we're not we're not going to dig into all of that partisan political stuff. I just want to simply acknowledge that if you're going if you're going to paint with such a broad brush, you then can't turn around and cry foul when people paint a big a broad brush on you and your ideology. And, and they just warp all of those subsects into one another. So with all that said. The Republicans are just the worst. And if Marcus is saying we got Republicans have ruined the country and I want to get away from them, I would say, oh, OK. <laughs> I mean, far <laughs> be it for me to argue, but don't but don't presume everyone to the right of Hillary Clinton is a fascist. That's just just simply ridiculous. Well, and again, it's painting with a broad brush and it's not very, uh, like I said, conducive to any type of of workable solutions here. You know, and Marcus is a personable guy. I've met him. I met him in Dallas. I've said so on the show. We get along great. And it's interesting. People stop getting along when you introduce the state. You know, you were talking about immigrations and some of the issues in uh, Brian Kaplan's book, which you turned me on to. I really like that one. I've heard of it before, but you convinced me to buy it and I really liked it. And like you said, a lot of the problems go away when you get rid of the state. So sure. we have people that would normally get along great, but now you publish these books that are castigating using this, you know, now, you know, really unpleasant descriptions of the people just because they don't get along with them philosophically. Mm -hmm. You know, he said, we love conservatives. We get along with them. So mm -hmm. again, once you start pol talking politics, we start getting into the hyperbole and the character assassination. And uh, some of the other consistencies I saw in the book where they cheered on, um, you know, an effective method of nullification, which are the immigration sanctuary cities. Mm -hmm. California is a sanctuary state. I wholeheartedly support nullification in any way, shape or form. They love those. 
but now sure. the table turns to, go ahead well, I was just going to say, you know, I for for viewers who don't know me as well, you know, I'm from the South. I'm from Southern Middle Tennessee, and and I grew up around a lot of people who are probably they on the surface look and sound like the sort of deplorable redneck that Marcus might have been talking about. But these are people who are I'll I'll shoot anyone who tries to take my gun. I don't care what party he's in. Um, you know, uh, tell the census man to go back the way he came. I, you know, avoid paying your taxes, all that. kind. I mean, these are these are these are very anti-state people that kind of that that sort of tradition of Southern anarchy that that at least still exists in some pockets. It's unfortunate that so many of the red states have allowed the the zero sum game of politics and control of Leviathan to be red versus blue. Therefore, we have to pitch in our lot with people who don't represent us. But there is still a tradition of Southern anarchism. And and those those people are not the type of rednecks that are making life inhospitable for for progressives. It's 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 partisan politicos Ex that are making life in, inhospitable. But that that they're they're not conservatives. They're they're neocons. And and last I checked, there's neocons on both sides of the aisle. So I mean, yeah, you, absolutely. You just have, you have to be clear who you're running away from because that's going to also determine where you're going to, right? You know, and also when we're talking about, I, I, I cheer on the supposed left's immigration stance because, as we've said many times before, it was never a delegated authority to Congress. Mm. It was always supposed to be a state issue. So when California has their sanctuary state, I cheer them on. Mm -hmm. What they will not do, uh, in the, and this is evidenced in the book by the statement here, they consider gun sanctuaries or Second Amendment sanctuaries anarchy. <laughs> they say, mm -hmm. and I don't mean the good anarchy. I mean the chaotic, yeah. the violent, uh, any state that has permitless carry. He said they fear for their life. Come on, really? You're going to feel okay in Chicago with their draconian uh, gun laws, but you're not going to mm -hmm. feel okay in Salt Lake City, Utah, because we just went to permitless carry. And uh, that goes into effect on May 10th. So there's a lot of, I, I think, disingenuous arguments in here. Mm -hmm. And again, there was no point in having Marcus address them because the answer is always the same. It's these are the people we have to address and we have to get them fired up for our cause. But they also say we want the other states to support us and through Congress to support us. But you're not going to support people by alienating such a large amount on there. So, you know, my opinion is California, the California left, the left California movement wants freedom and independence for their system of government. They care nothing about freedom or liberty for the people that are going to be residing within their their borders uh, if they secede. So he even said, we love regulation. We love government regulations. So there's not going to be any freedom there. What they are demanding is equality of outcome. We're going to take a quick break for our friends at Anchor FM. We're going to discuss equality of outcome, individual uh, individualism versus a collective. We're going to wrap up that part of the show and then get into these two articles by the 10th Amendment Center. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Wasatch Report. Alan Mosley is joining me today. Jeff Johnson has some technical issues. So Alan, really appreciate you joining me. <laughs> and he's already messing with me. Uh, we left off, we're talking about some of the uh, di disingenuous claims that were made in the book we discussed with our good friend, Marcus Maria's Levin Evans last week. And one of one I, I really wanted to address was that California wants equality of outcome. I have no idea how you get that. And his answer to that was, well, it's always changing. Well, isn't that convenient? It's kind of like a health issue that's going around that's, I don't know, always mutating or, you know, different versions of it. When you always change the finish line or the goalpost, you're never going to say, okay, we're done. We can move on and you can have your freedoms back. Because we see once government expands over whatever issue, it never contracts to whatever the crisis was before it was that point. What, what's your take on equality of outcome? Well, there's the, the Alexander Solzhenitsyn quote, or if you are free, you are not equal. If you are equal, you are not free. That might be all well and good for the people that are a part of that movement. 
Um, but the point being is, is that, you know, as, as someone like a Milton Friedman would get at is that I'm not even, I'm not even questioning the, the virtue or the intentions of what they, of what they want to strive for. But let's talk a little bit about, about the means and the actual results. So, so all of human history has taught us that government intervention, coercion, and the state can't just simply cannot deliver the type of uh, equality or equity that his his movement uh, seeks to obtain. This isn't conjecture, and and you know I I know that there might be some random commie out there that says, oh well, past results don't necessarily determine future. Well, okay, yeah, that's true, but we're we're, right. mean, we're talking, <laughs> yeah, but but I mean we're gambling with the lives of millions of people, right? And that's and that's that's not hyperbole. That's historical fact. What I don't understand also is how you know you can say we want diversity. So you can't have diversity unless different people are expressing their individuality. Yet on the other side of the mouth, what they say is, well, individualism is simply selfish. How can you have how, how can it be both ways? Well, you know, and this is a point going back to right before the break, too, is that you it is possible for you to because you were talking about, you know, if California wants to be a sanctuary state and that means they defy federal of religion into immigration and they take matters then you applaud that because that's what you believe is that's that that's values decentralization and that if you are a constitution person that seems to be more constitutionally sound it's possible for you to applaud moving in that direction while still deriding what that particular state's policies are now I now I happen to believe in Brian Kaplan's arguments, and I tend to believe in in uh, open borders. But whether you did or didn't, you can you can be happy when a state asserts its sovereignty, but still say, "But I wouldn't go live in that state because I don't think they're doing things the right way." But I can vote with my feet, and at least we've given people a choice of different places they can go. And so, and that's why it's so important to kind of bring the conversation around to, uh, you know, secession. Uh, of course, secession is one of those that one of those evil words that you you get deplatformed for talking about. But but you and I were discussing right before the show that secession doesn't just mean uh, one of the fifty states of these United States, as you Altus always like to put it. Uh, it doesn't necessarily just mean one of the fifty states breaking off from the federal government. It it secession needs to go all the way down to the individual, right? We're we're individualists, so we we believe that the smallest minority that needs the most protection is the individual. There is no minority, there is no cause uh, smaller and more need of protection than the individual. But in the same way, so again, in the same way that I would like for California and Utah and Tennessee to uh, assert their sovereignty, not be controlled by a monolithic Leviathan state. And ha and set their own policies. I can likewise still abhor the policies they ultimately arrive at, and I can still argue further and say that well, I would rather bring everything down to the so all the individuals living within the state of California, within the state of Utah, within the state of Tennessee, making the majority nay all the decisions for themselves without any governing body because no matter I mean no matter how small you slice it there will inevitably be people within that political unit who don't agree and who want to separate and if you let California separate from this from the federal government who am I to say then you can't have a northern California from a southern California who am I to say that you can't have a northeastern California from a northern California I mean where where do you draw the line and to me the obvious answer is you draw the line of the individual and you call it a day Amen to that. You know, when I, I'm from that state originally, and for going back 40 years, I remember them talking about splitting it up in Northern and Southern mm -hmm. California because of the water issue. You know, the people yeah. in the, in the Northern part of this state were really angry at this water all be being, you know, piped down to Southern California, who's sitting there hosing off their, their, their sidewalks, you know, while they're just looking sure. at the sky and, and they, you know, took exception to that. So I agree, break it down to the individual Let's talk about our good friend, Amanda Bowers, who, by the way, said mm -hmm. she's listening in the grocery store parking lot. I hope we do your article justice, young lady. I, is this her first one for the 10th Amendment Center? We've talked many times. Um, I liked, I don't know if you read this book, Radley Balco's Rise of the Warrior Cop, and it talks mm -hmm. about the uh, militarization 
of the police forces across this yes. continental landmass. Never mind the fact that a president once said weapons of war have no place on America's streets. They're here, folks. Mm -hmm. And Amanda Bowers wrote an article published by the 10th Amendment Center talking about some developments in California. See how we tie all this together, Alan? I think we're uh, just doing a great job here. It's called California Assembly Committee passes a bill that takes a step to block federal militarization of police. And uh, this was last week at California Assembly. They passed a bill that would take first step towards limiting the impact of federal programs that militarize the local police and expand the surveillance state. And we're seeing some of this in some of the states that would be considered lefties where they're fighting um, the facial recognition software. All of sure. this is coming from grants from the feds. Isn't it interesting that these states that are supposedly lefties and commies are more interested in protecting our individual rights than we see in, you know, some of the more right wing states? Well, I mean, and this this is another reason why you can't paint with such a broad brush when you're talking about different ideological groups. Right. So there's it's absolutely true that there are some left wing states that have been fantastic on Fourth Amendment, on facial recognition. Uh, on stingray devices and license plates and all that kind of good stuff. And, and bravo. Um, I, I wish I wish now people like us would say, well, if you were if you were principled and ideologically consistent, you wouldn't just, you know, pick and choose what issues you you uh, you supported. But with that said, it, the funny thing and, and I, you know, I just I, I only come on the show to bash Republicans just to anger your audience. But you know what? There's a lot of red states out there. That those are the types of things they should be good on. There's we could we could do a whole series of episodes on uh, what what different groups purport to be good on and what they actually are good on and how maybe it's even worse when they pretend to be good on something and actually aren't because that misleads people into thinking that's where they should put their support if that's an issue that they're that they're interested in what's what's terrible about about the right side of the the political aisle is that they paint themselves as the party of pro second amendment pro pro gun rights pro self-defense you know protecting privacy and data and all that stuff but their actions don't they're getting they're getting killed by democrats nationwide on issues that they pretend to be good at how embarrassing for going back to those conservatives, how embarrassing for the conservatives who do vote Republican. Again, not saying that they're exactly the same group of people, but how embarrassing for the conservatives that do vote for Republicans, because those are some of their most important issues. But the states where they have majorities in their houses, senates, Republican governors aren't getting the job done. Well, you made a great statement the other day. You said that um, that was the the. The pro-Second Amendment people care more about their drug wars than they care about their guns. And we're going to get into that uh, at the end of the show with a thin blue line between you and your guns. Let's take a quick break for our friends Roxanne, our music sponsors, and then we're going to get into this issue some more about uh, the California Assembly. We'll be right back. I thought you were gone, that you would move on, but you're here on my color ID. I'm not surprised your delusional mind thinks it might be all right to call me. What will it take to get through you that this nightmare is <laughs> Music for this program has been brought to you by Roxanne, courtesy of Rat Pack Records. Radio Silence is the album and is available on Amazon iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, RatPackRecordsAmerica.com, and RoxanneBand.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm Suzanne Sherman. Alan Mosley joining me today. Thank you so much, Alan, for filling in at the very last minute. So I have somebody to talk to today and somebody to raise the intellectual bar of the show. It's just me. So I need all the help I can get. Let's turn to Amanda's article here. Um, the Assembly passed this AB uh, eight, uh, 48152 vote. And this is going to, under this proposed law, police departments are going to be required to adopt a military impact statement and a military equipment use policy to be presented in an open meeting prior to a vote for approval by the local governing body for such military equipment. 
Because what this is saying to me, Alan, is that of course the police agencies are going to want to have the budget for this, but how sure. much how much impact before this law would take effect? Did the local representatives of these municipalities, how much say did they have in this? And I really don't have the answer here. I do know that I remember in, um, in Salinas, California, when I lived there, one of these massive armor plated vehicles, you know, with the three foot high tires is out there and the cops are standing. It says rescue vehicle on it. Rescue vehicle. What are they going to do? Use that to bash down your walls and rescue some plants you might have? I don't really know what the purpose of something like this is. Uh, Phil has an, as a question. Let me put this up here. He says, um, well, what do you do? There is non-party that represents our beliefs. There is no party that represents our belief. I'm so far right of the right right now. I am not represented by them. I think, again, this goes down to the individual. What are your individual beliefs? You know, it can't be this is something that happened to me in an airport one time. I was talking to the, the server and a gentleman at the bar turned around and said, I can't figure you out. Are you a Republican or a Democrat? Like there are only two ways to describe a human being. You're either yeah. a Republican or a Democrat, nothing else. He goes, because yeah. you're pro-gun and you're also against criminalization of, of marijuana. What can it be? I said, well, why not vote? Mm -hmm. Why not leave individual choices, body autonomy to the individual because then as conservatives are feeding right into what supposedly the left-wing arguments in the book we started the show with discussing and bringing that into the collective. Well, marijuana use or drug use, you're being selfish because you're, you're adversely affecting the, you know, everybody else you're affecting society. Well, isn't that any better? Is that any better than saying, well, by not getting a, a certain injection or wearing a certain thing on your face, you're being selfish. Both sides. Both sides are wrong on that one. So I thought these right wingers were supposed to be into Ayn Rand. Didn't Ayn Rand always say that selfishness was was? It's a, a it's a it's a big book with small print. Alan. <laughs> My so, bad. All right, <laughs> jury, please please disregard the previous question. <laughs> so continuing with the article, if any conservatives are still listening, I poke fun at both sides. Everybody, just you know, deal with it. The bill is going to mandate similar approval for military equipment already in use and would re require an annual review. The impact statement and use policy would be made publicly available on the law enforcement agency's website for as long as the military equipment is available. And it's going to include an extensive list of uh, specific military equipment that would be uh, subject to this law. I find this is incredible. And, you know, one of the things that we also talked about with um, with Marcus, and we've discussed this many times when we discuss federal um, overreach into the state policies, federal mm -hmm. surplus and grant money. Police are getting these weapons through a number of federal pr programs, uh, including one via, via the uh, Department of Homeland Security, Homeland Security Grant Program. They dole out a billion dollars in counterterrorism funds to state and local police every year. So the Justice Department and the Pentagon funded a five-year program to adapt military security and surveillance technology for local police departments that they would otherwise not be able to afford. Well, thank you for that one, federal government. <laughs> well, you know, and the and the tough thing is, too, I've been listening to our friend Michael Bolden over at TAC recently, and he's been really railing on that there's so many of these bills have poison pills in them that that were lobbied for by by law enforcement agencies, police and sheriff's departments, where they say so there so the, it's a two prong thing. One, they'll either write in a provision that says, well, you know, we're 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 against this federal overreach, but we're not actually going to there's not going to be any teeth. We're going to we have to run it by our our courts and our attorney generals and they have to determine if any laws were broken and, and whether or not they're going to apply this bill. Uh, but, you know, we're not actually going to target any federal agents. So if the ATF just rolls in, we'll say, hey, you can't do that. But we won't stop actually it. do anything. We won't actually <laughs> do anything to stop them. We won't arrest them. We won't find them. Uh, and then the other thing is, too, is that, uh, you know, you can't you can't talk about any issues involving law enforcement without talking about civil asset forfeiture. And oh. you have these and you have these equitable sharing programs that so many police departments and sheriff's departments in, in every state around the country have have effectively signed contracts. They're not called contracts. What are the, the their um, 
memorandums of understanding. I think that that's the right term. You're the lawyer. Why am I talking about the it's, law crap when you're I'm supposed just, to? But, I'm enjoying they, the flowery language, equitable sharing, memorandum. So, so anyway, you guys, so there's all of these agreements between all of these different law enforcement agencies around the country and the feds. And so many of these of these bills, like the one you brought up, have little provisions in them that say, well, we won't have any new agreements. But if there's any agreements on the on the books right now, we won't void them. Well, they already have those agreements with basically every law enforcement agency that wants to participate. So you've done nothing. You've done nothing. So as long as there's equitable sharing, as long as these departments stand to literally generate hundreds of millions of dollars that is then shared between the federal and the state governments, if you can't put a dent in that pipeline and if you can't actually put prosecutorial teeth when you say federal agents are not allowed to operate within our borders to do these things that our state constitution or state laws say is illegal. And then finally, if you're also not going to target the um, the the task the, the state federal task forces where, well, it'll be it'll be our state police that do it, but they're acting as agents for the ATF. That's not good enough. If they're acting as agents of the ATF, then it, then it should come under the laws saying that you've you've violated our state laws because those laws are null and void within the state of, in this instance, California or anywhere. If you don't specifically have language targeting those two or three issues, it will be ignored. You know, what I want to see is a state come up with the temerity to say any federal agents coming in here to enforce federal firearms laws will be arrested. End of story arrest yep. them you know and and phil makes a point here and we we see this a lot about the sheriffs being the most constitutional authorities the highest constitutional authority state in the area he says there should be no cops there should be a sheriff's department and they take care of local issues in the county all others need to be disbanded i agree with that but then we have the notable exception of the angel rage case in california where medical marijuana this was before it uh, it was uh decriminalized or i should say yeah in california recreational use was now okay in california but when it was only medicinal this was a woman that had an excruciating excruciating pain from medical condition she qualified under california state laws for medicinal use of marijuana bearing in mind there is no constitutional authority for the control substances act i wrote an article uh, for that, for the Tenth Amendment Center, you can find that on my website, SuzanneCSherman.com. What did the sheriffs do when the DEA came to take her plants, kick down her door, and take care and take her plants? They stood by and watched. They were yep. eunuchs. So we need to see the states demand that the sheriffs get in there and interpose. Anybody remember that word from the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions? Uh, anything else you want to cover on that article? Great, great job, Amanda. God, I hope that lady didn't have a dog. <laughs> I don't remember that being part of the case, but yeah, that would have been pretty bad. She so, doesn't anymore, right? <laughs> she finishes this article by saying arming uh, peace officers like they're ready to occupy an enemy city is totally contrary to the society envisioned by the founders. They've turned protect and serve into command and control. Okay, let me address also, what did the conservatives say when Donald Trump said he was gonna send federal troops into these cities like Portland and Seattle? Did mm -hmm. constitutional conservatives stand up with righteous indignation and say that's absolutely unacceptable, this is a local issue, or did they cheer it on? Because, you know, go and go out there and arrest those commie anarchists. You know, Trump supporters in two, 2015, I, you know, maybe if I've had a lot to drink, I'm willing to give them a pass. But you can't be a Trump supporter anymore because he won the presidency. And as soon as he did, he immediately reneged on getting out of the wars. Um, I didn't want him to build a wall, but he didn't. If that was something that was important to you, su surprise, it didn't happen. But then on top of that, yes, they were absolutely cheering his his threats of sending federal task force or marching the troops, as he so eloquently put it, into those states that were defying federal edicts. But he but but he also he also he, under his administration, they prosecuted more federal gun control than any other U.S. president, including the, the executive orders to ban bump stocks. And I heard all these all the MAGA types saying, well, that well, you know, you don't really need bump stocks. I was like, yeah, it's bump stocks today. I can't wait to see what Joe Biden does when he with his executive pen.
Yeah. And we're going to be getting into that too. The other thing, um, when the conservatives when Trump supporters were cheering on him, his threat to send federal troops into these areas, one of the questions I raised, which was never addressed by the way, was, okay, what are you going to do when a Biden Harris administration or a somebody equally as, as repugnant, whoever's it's going to be, uh, decides they're going to march into, I don't know, someplace in Texas or Wyoming or any other gun sanctuary county with federal troops and uh, these militarized vehicles and go in and take people's guns. Mm -hmm. What then? Are you going to cheer them on because they're in violation of unconstitutional federal law? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Both of you guys, both of you sides need to see where the other side is consistent and you're not. I'm not picking on one side or the other. I'm saying you're both wrong. <laughs> I like to I like to say I I watch this with detached fascination. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does. And it, it, it remind me of the quote, I believe it was from Jeff Deist of the Mises Institute is where he just said very simply, the difference between the right and the left is that the left is serious. That's a really good point. Something else that I, I um, mentioned too was, oh, F and Phil makes a point too. Then you either get uh, Waco, Texas, or you get the resistance of the Bundys. Something else you had shared with me an article or an advertisement. I think this was a website. They're making robot cops oh, now. God, yeah. Oh my God, we got to do a show on that. These are robotic mm. police officers with electronic temperature detection devices. So you can be walking around downtown. This thing detects that you have a fever. And now what's going to happen? You're going to be ID'd. Somebody's either going to pull you off the street and then mm. somebody's going to or come to your home, force quarantine, take you in, put you in a place. We've seen them talk about this. They had the tent cities all set up, but COVID, oops, I said I said the word, uh, but the, the certain health issue going around didn't quite turn out where they needed all these uh, facilities as it seemed to be. So we're going to take a quick break, one final break for friends at Anchor FM, and then talk about Mike Meharry's uh, article, Thin Blue Line Between You and Your Guns. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, as we wrap up the segment here with Alan Mosley. Really appreciate you joining me today. Uh, John St. Clair has a great comment. Robocops. Yeah, that's what we're looking at. And the more people fight aggressive law enforcement policies, Alan, I think the worse mm -hmm. it's going to get. I really do. I think the more people protest, the more people challenge this. We are not seeing them say, you know, maybe we better back down a little bit. Maybe we better decriminalize. Maybe we better scale back on some legislation that really forces the law enforcement officers to interact with the community on this um, law enforcement as opposed to protect and to serve peace officer role that they should be playing, that they're not anymore. And we've talked yeah. before about the roles that the, the police lobbies, the sheriff lobbies and organization play in these uh, in these laws, you know, especially out here in Utah, they, they thwarted efforts at criminal asset forfeiture reform and the governor listened to them and, and capitulated. He capitulated in his term, our former governor on um, permitless carry because of pressure due to law enforcement. We're seeing Christine Nome, you know, conservative darling out in South Dakota because, you know, they didn't have to wear their, you know, their face cloths, but all of a sudden, when the people by popular vote, by the way, say we want marijuana legalized in this state, she capitulated to pressure by law enforcement. So yep. they don't get that pass with me. Let's talk a little bit about Thin Blue Line and gun control. I was actually on a Facebook Live presentation on an extremely popular show. And this was very, very, you know, much the veteran police officer, very conservative, neoconservative mindset. And um, I, I was making these points and one of the other hosts on there, I got a private message. You better back off the <laughs> law enforcement stuff. You couldn't really speak the truth on this, but this is my show now. And this is what I'm talking about. We're talking about Second Amendment sanctuary cities. And Michael Bolden, our good friend, you know, the, the head of the 10th Amendment Center, he also did a show on this. When these, these gun control laws are passed, 
who do you think is going to come for them? Do you honestly think I'm going to walk off the job before I do this? I've got five years to retirement. I've got to feed my family. Oh, now because of this last year's events in 2020, I cannot lose my job. So I did have a friend in uh, California. He was a member of the um, Santa Clara County uh, SO SWAT team. And he actually told me, I will. I told my supervisors, I will not go and collect guns if you ever send me to. And he goes, and if they did send me to, I would knock on your door. And he's shaking his head. No, he said to me, I will ask you, you don't have any guns here, do you? Uh, no, sir, I don't. Thank you. Have a nice day. Meanwhile, he was giving me, he was giving me boxes of ammo when I see him at, at Taekwondo where my kids were training. This guy's no longer employed by the state of California or Summit County, not Summit County, uh, Santa Clara County. So he moved to Idaho. He packed his family up and moved to Idaho. He is the exception, not the rule. Let's talk about what Mark Goodfriend, Mike Meharry did. I had a nice chat with him before the show, by the way. He also starts it by saying that the local cops will never enforce any kind of federal gun grab. And he says, I call BS. Uh, I'm a little unclear as to what gives them this confidence. And we've talked about this too. Local police officers already enforce all kinds of unconstitutional gun control. And they do this on a daily basis. And it's not like they do it reluctantly. They enforce federal gun laws enthusiastically and also oppose any efforts to stop them from doing this. I had a long conversation with a friend of mine who was a former police officer, and we're talking about gun control. And he said, you know, I really don't like it. And then he, and then he was doing so well. And he goes, but we have to keep them out of the hands of people that shouldn't have them. Well, who's to determine that? Who so, determines so the, that? The moment that Leviathan decides that you shouldn't have them, you are now a criminal and he will come and take your guns. Tell me I'm wrong. You are absolutely correct. You know, I mentioned that they are always casting a wider net of qualifications for people or disqualifications to keep people from owning firearms. It was the, um, the Blumberg Amendment to the Firearms Control Act, which was said anybody with a misdemeanor domestic violence conviction mm -hmm. is going to be retroactively prohibited from ever owning a firearm. Misdemeanor. Mm -hmm. And these cases in particular are just such a quagmire of he said, she said, oftentimes benefiting uh, Trent going towards the, uh, the female's version of the events. And these people will never be able to have a firearm again. So the problem is you cast a wide net. ATF Form 4473, over 36 states have said that firearms, um, uh, that marijuana is legal in one form or another, recreation or medicinal. And this is in direct contravention, again, to the Controlled Substances Act. It is prohibited by federal law. But the problem is, if you want to purchase a firearm and you are using marijuana and you answer truthfully, you are not allowed to have a gun. So they say, do you think local law enforcement will say, you know what, I disagree with that. I'm not going to arrest that person because they have guns because I think this is just silly. Of course not, because the it's it that's always the fall pack position for for the Republican conservative. But but facts simply don't bear that out. So as we uh, something that I know uh, they talk about attack all the time is, is that we wish that the gun people had half the balls that the weed people have. We wish oh, yeah. that the that the that the states who want a gun sanctuary had half the balls that the states who want an immigration sanctuary have. But they don't. They they they. What oftentimes happens is maybe you find that diamond in the rough state level legislator who introduces a bill that is that is everything one would want that that might perhaps mirror a immigration sanctuary state or city, a uh, a, a, a recreational uh, marijuana state. And what what ultimately happens is either a it gets completely killed in committee or if it gets a vote at all, it's because it's been amended. And the amend amendments, as we were discussing earlier, take all the teeth out of the bill and will insert this language that says, well, we so we, we won't support federal gun control in this state uh, except for the stuff that's already on the books. Well, all federal gun control is unconstitutional. So that's a moot point. You're you're completely missing the forest from the trees. Or as we talked about earlier, is that, well, we're we're not we're not going to we're not going to support. Um, the prosecution of federal gun control 
But if there's an agreement between a local law enforcement agency and the ATF, then that agreement is still is still active. And what all what always ends up happening is they they come out with this strong talk. But you wonder, well, why, why who who wrote that amendment? How did how did we have this just just ironclad bill? And by the time it gets to that to the governor's desk, it's full of loopholes. Who is it that is lobbying for those loopholes? It is almost always law enforcement unions. Yeah, that so was uh, are, so. Are Mike, they going to take your guns? Yes. Mike Meharry wrote an article about that very instance in Missouri, and it was the sheriff's mm-hmm. association lobby that absolutely gutted that law. And Phil makes a great comment here. It kind of shows that the Democrats are serious and the Republicans are are closet Democrats. You know, I like to look at um, progressives and conservatives as conservatives, you know, or, or the size of government. So very, very limited government is what is to me the far right anarchy mm-hmm. being extreme right in the sense that it simply means without a leader, the fascists, the dictators, that's the far left to me. And what both of these political partisan political sides show is we are both far left because we both want a big government simply stated our own version of big government. So the the left, I will say, if we're talking Democrat and Republican, they are honest in their assumption and assertion that the Constitution was really in, you know, something that wasn't worth much in the first place. Uh, as Marcus said, it was designed for the states. It was never designed for any kind of individual rights. That's, you know, that was his position that he said on the show. But the the right wing, the, the, you know, the big Trump supporting right wing, they also want their big version of this. Hey, we want the feds to go in there and mm-hmm. we want them to tramp down the cities doing things that we like, that we don't care for. And guess what? That can happen to our Second Amendment sanctuary cities as well. So this is something to be uh, concerned with. And Mike also pointed out in his articles, all of these firearms laws that they've been already enforcing for many years, notably mm-hmm. the Firearms Act of 1934, 38, 68, Firearm Owners Protection Act of 1968, every single one of them is unconstitutional, but every single one of them is enforced by law enforcement agencies. So he said your state and local police departments help enforce all of this and more, and they don't do it reluctantly. They, uh, the groups lobby fiercely, as we, as we said. So the legislatures across the country this year are considering bills to stop the enforcement of federal gun control. They can legally do so based on the anti-commandeering doctrine. That's something also we touched on earlier in the show. The biggest opponents have been the sheriff's associations, police chief associations, and other groups representing cops. They have gotten these bills killed in some states and significantly watered down in others, most notably Missouri, which I just mentioned. He asks why they do this. And he says because they don't want to jeopardize their relationship with their federal partners. It's more important than the Constitution. After all, there is no money or power in standing up for the Second Amendment. Ask us, we know. (laughs) So police claim it's a matter of public safety. There's a community caretaking case that's coming up before the Supreme Court. And that's talking about going into people's homes um, under the auspices of, without a warrant, under the auspices of Mm -hmm. the community caretaking doctrine. That's something we're gonna bring up as well. So if we don't work with the feds, the dangerous criminals will go free. And what is the main cause that people are going, are using as a justification for this? And this is the war on drugs is significantly a form of um, expanding gun control. And as we said earlier, the um, the right wing, modern day neoconservatives are more mm-hmm. concerned with keeping people from using drugs because they don't think it's a good idea than they are with protecting firearms rights. Because when you get a bigger Leviathan, more draconian regulations, you're going to need a bigger, more heavily armed law enforcement branch of that very same government to enforce these laws. So scale back many of these laws. Biden, by the way, kind of indicated that maybe people that voted for him (laughs) thought maybe he would do that. Uh, Kamala Harris just said, they don't have time, but they had time to ban menthol cigarettes. <laughs> we're at, we're going to talk about that on 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 it's too late Wednesday night. So I'm I'm gonna I'm not going to touch that for right now. Alan Mosley, 
how can people watch your show? How can they follow? How can they support you? Uh, we're on Odyssey. Uh, if you are uh, not don't love big tech, but we're still on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. So you can go to any of those places and search Alan Mosley TV, and that's where we're going to be. AlanMosley.tv is the website. Twitter, Alan Mosley TV. Facebook, Alan Mosley TV. YouTube, Alan Mosley TV. And Odyssey, you can just search for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley or Alan Mosley TV. New episodes every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern time. Can't wait. All right, Alan, I want to thank you, everybody. I'm Suzanne Sherman. This has been the Wasatch Report. I want to thank you for listening. Oh,